The Orthodox Journey, brought to you by the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. As we journey towards the Feast of the Apostles, we reflect on the Gospel on the third Sunday of Matthew with Panayota Philadithis. Elizabeth Stilianou will bring us the Saint of the Week. This week it's Saint Elizabeth, the mother of Saint John the Baptist, and Chrysati Diasinos will reflect on the spreading of Orthodox Christianity to the New World. This is The Orthodox Journey. Thoughts from today's Gospel reading. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow or reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry about what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear. For after all these things are Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Christ in today's Gospel reading leads his discourse to the things which are more within reach of our senses. When he spoke of the mind as enslaved and brought into captivity, there were not many who could easily discern this. For this reason he transfers a lesson to things outward and lying before men's eyes, that by these the others also might reach their understanding. Thus, if you do not know, says Christ, what a thing it is to be injured in mind, learn it from the things of the body, for just what the eye is to the body, the same is the mind to the soul. Since therefore you would not choose to wear gold and to be clad in silken garments with your eyes being put out, but would rather possess their sound health, so also when the mind is depraved your life will be filled with countless evils. This therefore is our aim, namely to keep the eye sound as well as the mind in the soul. But if we mutilate this, which ought to give light to the rest, by what means are we to see clearly any more? For as he that destroys the fountain dries up also the river, so he who has quenched the understanding has confounded all his doings in his life. 
For God says Christ gave as an understanding that we might chase away all ignorance and have the right judgment of things and that using this as a kind of weapon and light against all that is grievous or hurtful, we, may, we might remain in safety. But we betray the gift for the sake of things superfluous and useless. For what is the use of soldiers arrayed in gold when the general is dragged along a captive? Let us guard our souls diligently and provide them with more care and nourishment than we provide for the rest of our body. Today's reading was from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 22 to Saint of the Week with Elizabeth Stiliano of the Greek Orthodox Ladies Group. Saint Elizabeth was the sister of Saint Anna, the mother of our most holy Theodokos. She came from the tribe of Aaron. Her husband, Zacharias, was a priest who continued to serve in the temple up to his passing. They were faithful Jews and had reached an old age without having children. To be barren at this time would have caused much gossip and shame for the couple. In that time, being childless was an invitation to public reproach, especially for women, as it was seen as a punishment from God. It is perhaps for this reason that St. Luke takes pains to reveal that this couple had in no way lived a life deserving of such punishment and disgrace in God's eyes. In fact, he writes about the couple that they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. This high praise tells us a lot about the couple. By highlighting their faith and righteousness, St. Luke reveals that the faith and holiness of their son John was in part through the faith and piety of his parents. St. Luke, giving St. Elizabeth the title of righteous, shows the reader early on in his gospel that her barrenness was to be in fact a sign of God's plan for the salvation of his people, as it had been in the Old Testament for Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, and of course, Saint Anna. In all their years of receiving reproach from others, Saint Elizabeth and her husband continued to serve God in constant piety and prayer. They would have prayed for a child, but perhaps given up hope in their old years of this prayer ever being answered. One day, when it was Zacharias' turn to serve in the temple, praying not for a child, but for the remission of sins of the Jewish people, as was custom for the priest to do, the archangel Gabriel appeared to Zacharias, 
and spoke to him with the words, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. In this way, both the prayer for the salvation of the Jews and their long-standing prayer for a child was answered. Zacharias, in his turn, understandably struggled with this news. After all, his wife was well beyond the childbearing years. For this lack of faith, and as an extra sign to show what miraculous birth was about to take place, the birth of one who would be called the greatest of all prophets, he was made mute until all that the Archangel Gabriel had spoken would take place. Saint Elizabeth, in her turn, accepted this blessing with grace. She hid herself in the first months of her pregnancy, thanking the Lord, saying, This the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. Her words tell us how much she must have suffered in her life by being childless until such time as the Lord's will was to be done. Now the Archangel Gabriel had spoken to Zacharias that their child John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. The Holy Spirit in the child was made manifest when the Most Holy Theodokos came to visit her pregnant aunt after herself having heard from the Archangel Gabriel that Saint Elizabeth was pregnant. When she arrived at her aunt's house, at only hearing the Theodokos' voice, Saint Elizabeth felt her baby leaping in her womb. In this manner, quite beautifully, the unborn Saint John, who was already filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied the presence of the unborn Christ. Filled likewise with the Holy Spirit, Saint Elizabeth prophesied Christ herself with saying, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? We can only imagine how much these words would have comforted the young Paniyya, who remained with her aunt for three months before returning to her house. When St. John was born, many gathered and celebrated in the miracle of God's grace that a child should be born of a barren woman. On the eighth day following his birth, it was time for the child to be given his name. As Zacharias was still mute, they asked St. Elizabeth what the child's name would be. The custom of the time would be for the child to be named after his father or a relative. St. Elizabeth, however, was adamant that the child's name would be John, as was spoken by the Archangel Gabriel. This confused everyone as it did not follow tradition, so they went to Zacharias and asked him what the child should be called. On signalling for a writing tablet, Zacharias wrote, His name is John. In this moment, the angel's words came to fulfillment, and Zacharias was once again able to speak, and he praised the Lord. Now we can only imagine the shock and awe that would have filled all those who had gathered at hearing his voice. As St. Luke writes, fear came on all who dwelt around them. How could one fathom these things, that not only would a childless woman conceive and bear a child when she was well past her years, but that the father of the child would be made mute until the child was named. These miracles were set as a sign by God to signify just how special this child was to be.
as Saint Zacharias prophesied, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God. Here the biblical account of Saint Elizabeth ends. However, we know by holy tradition that during the time of Herod's ruling, where all children under the age of two were to be killed, that Saint Elizabeth fled to the hills with her son in order to keep him safe. News of Saint John's unusual birth had reached King Herod, and he was fearful that this child was in fact the Messiah. He sent soldiers after the family. They found Saint Zacharias at the temple. Despite all efforts by the soldiers, he refused to give up the location of his wife and child, and was killed. Saint Elizabeth kept the young Saint John hidden. Once, their pursuers were close, and she prayed to God for their safety. Immediately, the hill opened up to conceal the mother and child until the soldiers had passed by. Saint Elizabeth stayed with Saint John a while longer before joining her husband in the next life. So great is Saint John the Forerunner seen in our church that his parents in turn are honoured by the church on both the days surrounding his conception on the 5th of September and of his birth on the 23rd of June. Saint Elizabeth remains for us today as an example of what it means to be a married saint, of growing old in piety and love of God, of being patient and persistent in prayer throughout the years of our life, despite it perhaps seeming as if God has abandoned us, of trusting God, and of how to be gracious with his great blessings. It was of no accident that God chose her and her husband, Saint Zacharias, to be the vessels for the child who would be given the task of preparing the way for his own son, Jesus. Orthodox Spiritual Reflection with Chrysanthi Diasinos of the Greek Orthodox Ladies Group. In the previous editions, we examined how Christianity spread across the Middle East, Africa, and the whole of Europe. In this edition, we will look more closely at the missionaries of the New World, 
particularly those in North America. Our focus will be on four saints who established the roots for Orthodox Christianity to flourish in the Americas. The first is Saint Innocent of Alaska, equal to the Apostles and Enlightener of North America. Saint Innocent was a Russian Orthodox priest. In the 1800s, he became a missionary in Alaska. Later in his life, he was made Bishop, Archbishop and then Metropolitan of Moscow. He was committed to serving the Alaskan people and not only learnt to speak several native languages, but also devoted much energy to the translation of the Bible and service books into various native languages of Alaska. He wrote many dictionaries, scholarly works about the natives and their languages, and religious works. Saint Innocent's life was centred around preaching the Holy Gospel, which occupied a special place in his apostolic service. He was a gifted and tireless preacher who took up every opportunity to reach out to people and spread the Christian message with love. The second saint is Peter the Aleut, the proto-martyr of America. Saint Peter the Aleut was a native of Kodiak Island in Alaska. He was named Peter when he was baptised into the Orthodox faith by Saint Herman's monks. In 1815, Spanish sailors captured Peter and a group of Aleut seal and otter hunters and took them all to San Francisco for interrogation. With threats of torture, the Roman Catholic priests attempted to force the Aleuts to deny their Orthodox faith. When the Aleuts refused, the Roman priests had a toe severed from each of Peter's feet. Peter still refused to renounce his faith and a group of Californian Indians were ordered to cut off each of Peter's fingers, one joint at a time, and they proceeded in removing both his hands. They eventually disemboweled him, thus crowning his life with martyrdom. When St. Herman heard of Peter's death, he was moved to exclaim, Holy new martyr Peter, pray to God for us. Now on to St. Alexis Toth of Wilkesbare, the leader of ex-Uniates into orthodoxy. Saint Alexis was originally a Uniate missionary priest, meaning he acknowledged papal supremacy. He was sent from his homeland in Slovakia to serve and protect his flock in the United States. There, he recognised that the best thing he could do was to lead his flock back to Orthodox Christianity, finding therein the fullness of the Christian faith. Father Alexis was the first Uniate priest in America to reunite his people with the Orthodox Church. In December of 1892, he evangelized the immigrants in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Thus, he became their guide, preaching and enlightening them about their social and religious future in America. Through his efforts, over 20,000 Carpatho-Russian and Galician Uniates were reunited with the Orthodox Church. The fourth and final life story for today is that of St. Raphael Halloweeny of Brooklyn. St. Raphael was born in Beirut, Lebanon to Syrian refugee parents. From his youth, St. Raphael's greatest joy was to serve the church. He was educated at the Patriarchal School in Damascus, the School of Orthodox Theology in Halki Island, and at the Theological Academy in Kiev. In 1904, the saint became the first Orthodox bishop to be consecrated in North America. He served as Bishop of Brooklyn, New York, until his death. 
He saw that it was absolutely necessary to use the English language in worship and in education for the future progress of the Orthodox mission in America. Saint Raphael founded the present-day cathedral of the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, established 30 parishes, assisted in the founding of Saint Tikon's Orthodox Monastery in South Canaan, Pennsylvania, and blessed the associated orphanage. May we have the intercessions of these four saints of North America. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Orthodox Journey. For more spiritually nourishing talks, podcasts and articles to help you on your journey on the fast of the apostles, visit our website at lyknos.org. That's L-Y-C-H-N-O-S dot O-R-G.